Hey there, this isn't my actual voice, but I just wanted to distinguish my voice here from my voice in a moment. And so to do so, I took lots of helium. If you would like to just hear the history of electronic music and you're not interested in what I've been doing lately, fair play to you, jump four and a half minutes. Hello, how you doing? Oh, it's been a while, hasn't it? How on earth have you been? What are you up to? Who have you been doing it with? And why did you do it like that, you filthy animal? My name is Vinny and I'm recording a podcast. And I'm doing it um, in a studio, which I haven't done for a while. So long-time listeners will know that I used to be on t- radio doing um, all kinds of talk radio. And I used to do music radio and I just used to do loads of radio. And then I moved to England and thought, wouldn't it be nice to do lots of podcasts about my travels? So you've had podcasts from Japan, you've had one from Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, uh, Korea, where else? Vietnam, I think, uh, and a couple of other ones as well. Norway, yeah. Uh, because it's a nice way to just sort of record the the frolics that happen when one goes away. Before you know it, blink and by crikey, you'll have a 2020 right up your behind so I thought before the year's out, I'd say a quick sort of update on things. And also, let's be honest, it's sort of a promotional thing as well. And I'll explain what I mean. So I do loads and loads of different stuff. Don't really make much money at any of it. But all put together, it means that I never get bored. And I do lots of things my way. on my own boss. And by crikey, what a great boss I am. But the, the point that I'm going to be making here is this. Whilst I'm doing some professional sound editing and podcast making, which, by the way, if you need a podcast, go to wemakepodcasts.uk. While I'm doing that, I also sort of miss the creativity and the madness of talk radio. I still miss it because it was such a laugh, just like taking crazy phone calls and doing weird pub quizzes on the radio and stuff. So um, I decided probably about a year ago, it would be a good idea to do a new creative project. And that's what I'd like to tell you about now. So I've always been massively into music and particularly into electronic music. And I've had my decks since I was 13. And I'm now just north of 40. And so my turntables have become very much part of my life. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is because I, about a year ago, decided it would be a good idea to do something completely different. And I I thought, how is it that I can get all the elements that I miss, the creativity, the weirdness of radio? So I decided to come a- upon a new project, and that project is the history of electronic music. And what I've done, I've written a script... And I'm using a sampler. Now, I've never seen anyone do this. I'm sure someone somewhere is doing this. But I kind of hope they're not because I feel like I came up with this idea myself and I'm quite proud of it. I use a, a sampler that I bought to tell the history of electronic music live. But rather than on the radio, I do it live in front of an audience. And I've done it four times now. Um, or actually, I've done it probably a hundred times, but I've done it four times to audiences. I'm, I'm now on tour. The, the beauty of ignorance is that I have no idea how other people go on tour, so I just do it the way that I think you should do it, and it turns out somehow I've got away with it. So I am performing the history of electronic music with a sampler 
a one and a half hour show in various venues. I've done three in London so far, and I just come back from Dublin where I did one to an Irish audience, which by the way, because the Irish are so funny, it was my scariest gig to date. It was actually scarier than my third gig where my own mother was in the audience. So uh, yeah, the, the intensity of knowing that the funniest nation in the world are upon you is quite intense. Apologies to all other nations, but let's be honest, the Irish are pissing funny. Yeah, I did it in Dublin this last weekend and it went really well. If you would like to come in 2020, go to historyofelectronic.com to find tour dates. They're going to be all over the place. One place I know I'm going to be is the Brighton Festival in May for a run of shows down there. So please come along. Be nice to see you. This is the history of electronic music from bone flute to drum loop. 40,000 years to make a rave tape. Good evening. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for coming along. Just a little bit of housekeeping before we start. Uh, my name is Vinnie White, sometimes known as DJ Pixelface. I, I did go as DJ Pixelface and then I asked a good friend of mine, is that a good name? And at that point I'd already done two of these shows. And they said, it's quite good, but you, you do look a bit rapey because I did pixelated my face. <laughs> I've never thought of it that way. Um, so you can call me whatever you want. Um, so we've got uh, some big shout outs to do before we start. So let's turn this off. I've got a lot of tech here, so there might be a few things go wrong along the way. Yeah, so there's some big shout outs to do before we start. Uh, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, my mum. <laughs> so pleased my mum is here. Um, she's, she's not a day over 22, obviously, and uh, she's come all the way from Brighton tonight with my brother and my sister as well. So uh, I'm just one sister short, but I'll do that. I'll, I'll let my other sister see it on the fourth gig. Uh, also, big shout out to Good Jim, ladies and gentlemen, who um, are my running club and also my very newfound and definitely good friends. And for anyone that doesn't fit in those brackets of family and Good Jim, hello to you, big cheer. This is gonna be about 35, 40 minutes, then you have a break and you can uh, have a pee and a drink. You can do that anytime you like. I mean, you shouldn't do it in your seat, that's a bit weird. But um, if you need to go to the bar, it's right there. And then after that break, we'll do another second half. And uh, it is the history of electronic music. It's uh, a quick look of how we got from the bone flute to the drum loop. And uh, hopefully along the way, you'll learn some stuff. It's only the third time I've done it, so there might be a few mistakes along the way. Uh, I've, built, I've built that in, so if you hear this, that, that means I'm in shit and you just have to be put on hold, you know what I mean? And, and the chance, I've never not used it, so the chance... Alright, let's do this. I got my first real six string, roll it out the five and done. In the summer of 1969, Brian Adams bought his first six string at the Five and Dime and played it until his fingers bled. Brian Adams has since actually confessed that the summer of 69 was not in fact when he got his first guitar. Brian says the song is actually about making love in the summertime and the number 69 refers to the sexual position. <laughs> the summer of 69 was more nuanced than what he was going to call it, summer of reverse cowgirl. 
quite difficult doing that gag in front of my mum, just so we all know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Brian Adams, finding this quite weird. Uh, Brian Adams was actually nine in the summer of 69, and uh, it turns out he didn't get a guitar until he was a teenager, and that, that's actually true. So the whole song is a little bit muddled, but one thing we do know is Brian Adams got a six string, and he got it because he'd heard one, and uh, he liked the sound it made. He didn't go in there and ask for a six string thinking it was a, a small hammock. He knew what he was getting and he wanted a guitar so that one day he could co-write and co-butcher a shit song with Mel C. <laughs> now, I knew what I wanted when I was young and I got them. They were turntables. Now, a couple of years before I got my turntables, David Harmon gave me a rave tape, a rave tape in my uh, woodwork class, I think it was, at school. It was 1992. Um, David Harmon, we used to call him David Barman because his dad was an alcoholic and uh, kid, kids are just really cruel, you know. Uh, a rave tape, if, uh, if you're not too sure, if you're a, a wee thing amongst us, uh, was a plastic tape with about 90 minutes of music on it available at, at Woolworths, which was sort of a weird hall with toffees in it. And um, Woolworths, of course, has been replaced with Amazon and cassette tapes have been replaced with Spotify. And indeed, my friendship with David Harmon has been replaced with a complicated and very expensive relationship with Mercedes in California, who definitely loves me. <laughs> now, that rave tape floored me, and uh, it had sounds that I'd never heard before. Sounds like... And when it wasn't rapid beats like that, it was massive drops like... I knew, I knew I was hooked. What was this music? It was like watching a turbulent grey ocean for hours on end and then a golden frigate comes by with sunlight gleaming off its hull. What was it? It was like Pamela Anderson had climbed out of my TV and put her nipples in my ears. Probably, I don't, I don't really know. But really, what was it? I mean, who the cocking bobbins were the prodigy? And why was there a demented cat on my rave tape? And why? Why did I love that? Before the rave tape, my exposure to music came from my older brother, who's in tonight, and uh, some of the local lads. Uh, we were used to listen to Guns N' Roses and Def Leppard at the garage at the bottom of our garden where we hung out. And uh, one day, one of the guys put up a poster celebrating the rock band Warrant and their soft rock drivel, Cherry Pie. She's my cherry pie. Cool drink of water, such a sweet surprise. Tastes so good, make me cry. Sweet cherry pie. Yeah, she's my cherry pie. Cool drink of water, such a sweet surprise. Tastes so good, she makes a grown man cry sweet cherry pie. Yeah. I've never met a woman that tastes so good I've cried. I did meet a woman in Worthing that smelt a bit like onions, but I don't think that's what Warrant meant. But that sort of sonic Ebola was happening, and at the same time, my dear mother was in the kitchen listening to Radio 2. Um, boiling moss and wooden clothes pegs that she assured us were broccoli and carrots. And serving up with a meat. Uh, do you remember that mum meat that came in a can? I don't, I don't really know what it was, but it, we were a very poor family, and she, uh, she served up meat in a can. It was actually quite nice, but I, n I never found out whether it previously clucked 
mooed, neighed or barked. Very difficult to say. But while that was happening, DJ Silky Smooth, Ken Bruce, was on Radio 2 playing. Chiquitita, tell me what's wrong. You're enchained by your own sorrow. Which was nice, but when I heard that rave tape, I melted, I trembled. So sweet sensation. Da, 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 da. I fell in love. I So why? Why is this stuff so powerful? Why do fat beats make us want to move? And what is it that's in the bass that makes people want to dance? Why do so many people in bedrooms and nightclubs all across this country, and the world for that matter, enjoy electronic music by merging it and looping it and messing about with it? Why do we need to tweak it like a digital nipple? A digital nipple on the... <laughs> A, dig <laughs> a digital nipple on the bosom of a musical goddess. A goddess who lactates BPMs and squirts rhythmic tit milk. Yeah, I, I keep building on that. It does, again, it does feel wrong in front of mum. Now, simply put, we humans can't help it. It's all about rhythm. No other animal on this planet dances without being told to. We do. Tiny children dance. Kids have an unforgivably shit taste in music, but they do dance without being told to. So tonight, I'm going to look at where all of that started. We're going to go back 40,000 years before that rave tape and my decks to where musical instruments began. Then we're going to spend a pretty disproportionate amount of time looking at the last 30 years in a quest to find out how did we get to that mixtape and how did we get to electronic music. Let's take a journey through time to discover how the sounds on that mixtape changed my life and your life forever. What we're going to do right here is go back way back, back into time. That sounds quite good, actually. I've got, a, I've got a filter on here that makes them sound a bit drunk. What we're gonna do right here is go back. I'm 42, you know. <laughs> it's something to do. No sweet So we go back. The first musical instrument we know of date back 40,000 years. It's fair to guess that we were stretching skins and plucking pluckable things before 40,000 years ago. But we do know that in the ancient caves of southern Germany, we've discovered bone flutes, which amazingly is not a euphemism for a sexual manoeuvre. Bone flutes were the first musical instruments us humans made that can still be found today. Flutes made from bird bones and mammoth bones. You can still play them today. Uh, here's a highly edited down recording from the Peabody Museum, that's Harvard. Early modern humans spent uh, many evenings sitting around a fire playing bone flutes to the original cut of... Bone flutes resemble that of a modern day recorder, an instrument now used by children to make parents question why they didn't use a condom. Today we have harps, pianos and violins. Knowing that we had to go through that bone flute stage to get there gives me great hope for humanity. Bone flutes originated in what is now Germany, actually in Dusseldorf, in the bone flute caves, which again is not a euphemism. Dusseldorf is actually the birthplace of Kraftwerk. 
pioneers of electronic music. After the bone flute, the next known instrument appears in Greece, which was the lyre. Uh, it was a small wooden harp, the sort you might see a wandering minstrel play, and um, that can be dated back to about 2000 BC, which means we spent 38,000 years playing the bone flute. <laughs> 38,000 years is incidentally exactly how long Stairway to Heaven feels. The lyre was a stringed instrument, played by the ancient Greeks, the most important instrument in the, in the Greek world. And uh, that's it. Mm. It's the sort of, uh, sort of tune you might contemplate a riddle, in, like in a heavy fog. I'll leave it there and we'll jump to later on in the show now and give you another little snippet of the history of electronic music. If you would like to book a ticket and come and see, it's historyofelectronic.com and it would be an honour to have you in the crowd. After we talked about the, where did I leave you there, the lute, we went on through loads of musical instruments and sped through time until we got to sampling. And we talked about a guy from France that was sampling way back in the 1940s. Uh, from there, we also talked about some really important music when it comes to sampling, the Amen Break or the Amen Break, which was a track in the 60s by the Winstons, a little-known funk band. They had a six-second drum loop in one of their songs that was used for over 10,000 tracks, I think. So an impossibly large amount of tracks, uh, both in the hip-hop world, the drum and bass world, and far beyond that as well. The most important drum loop of all time, the most sampled sample of all time. So we talked about that for a bit. We also talked about the Roland 808. A guy called Mr. Kakahashi invented the Roland Corporation. Why did he do it and uh, what's his history? We go through that and then look at the 808, which is a small box of tricks, which was very important to the history of all electronic music. And then I'll fast forward through all that imagine you've just heard all that and you're scintillated by such amazement and now you join us as we talk about another box of tricks from roland the 303 we learned about sampling we learned about the 808 one thing we haven't really touched on though is inspiration i mean now you could be inspired by a track and then try to reproduce parts of it on your roland gear for example what happens if you're inspired by a disco beat? Nice. Well, okay. What happens if you were inspired by a Donna Summer track? You kind of imagine people listening to this stuff at the time and then thinking, oh, I like that, I like that. What about if we take some chords? We could be inspired by the chords from this unknown track from Klein and MBO. So you could be inspired by that and then why hire, why rent a choir when you could just sample one? Maybe one from a Crawford record. So if you throw all of that together, all those inspirations and that sample, you've got one of the best-selling tracks of all time. 
clocking in at seven and a half minutes. It's one of the longest songs to grace the UK charts. Blue Monday, the single cover, was so expensive to produce with all those holes that they lost money on every sale. New Order that wrote it were also part of the Hacienda, which never, ever made any money. So they were like really good at failure, but evidently really good at music. Actually, if you want, now they can make money because now you can buy it as a cushion. So <laughs> it's a bonus. Uh, this is quite cool, actually. We're going to play with time a little bit here. Imagine if you had all the instrumentation that was available in the 30s and you tried to make Blue Monday. This is it. This is Blue Monday made with harpsichords and everything that was available in the 30s. Now, at roughly the same time as the 808 coming out, we had uh, Mr. Kakahashi gave us tonight's final box of tricks. It was the TB303. And uh, this fairly dull-looking box is uh, another very important part of musical history. The TB303 was supposed to do what the 808 did in a way. The 808 was supposed to replace a drummer, and this was supposed to replace... Uh, a bass guitarist and um, the 808 as we know f pretty much failed to replace a drummer apart from some cool sort of Whitney Houston tracks and a few others but but it didn't it still it isn't really as popular as a real drummer um, the 303 sort of failed to replace the guitar really but it did make a whole subgenre of music another happy accent for our Japanese friend Let's not go quite into this with the nerdy levels we did before, but let's just look at this. This is a sample from the TB303. It was used in some 80s cheesy tracks. Here's another one. This is nowhere all right After just this last night Beyond the bar and so high Way past dreams Sounds all right. What happened next, though, was amazing. Again, in those second-hand shops in Detroit and Chicago, the same black Americans that were messing around with the 808s found the 303s and messed with them, too. Rumours spread that to program this little Roland box was tricky and annoying. You could get some weird sounds out of it, though, just by messing with the buttons. So you could start with the bass line. That is the 303. But then what happens if you tweak it up a little bit? Mm. So it goes from bass guitar into like a drowning digital duck. And that is a brilliant start because you could push it further, getting rid of the bloody bass guitar altogether and just going for the squeaky stuff. And so, in 1987, a few years after Roland stopped making this, a guy in Chicago bought one at the Five and Dime store, not the same Five and Dime store that Brian Adams bought his six-string, and he made what is considered to be the first acid 
tune, Acid Tracks. This acid, tasty. It brewed and bubbled like a healthy fart until it made it. It made it to the UK, but now, now it was in the UK. This wasn't sub-genre underground stuff. This was chart-topping, top-of-the-pop stuff. Britain changed it and made it massively popular. Pass the mic. What time is love? What time is love? After Roland stopped making it, the 303 became the must-have for any bedroom producers, an axe as big as Massive Attack and Madonna. Its value rocketed so much, it became out of reach for most people. Even now, they're worth £2,500 on eBay, which is why I don't have one. <laughs> I also don't have a Rolex. Now, actually, in a way, you kind of don't need it because the same effects can be found on plugins for Ableton Live, which I'm running here today. Or you can subscribe to Roland Cloud, which is decades worth of iconic sounds from the mind of Mr. Kakahashi, all available on your laptop, which is now your studio. So the 303 can be manipulated post-production to sound... Mum, can you block your ears for a second? The 303 can be manipulated post-production to sound dirtier than the sock I used to keep behind my bed when I was 15. <laughs> Unblock, that's fine, that's all good. That's a weird moment in my life. Years, <laughs> years, after, it's <laughs> years after it was discontinued, it's still used. In the 90s, someone said this, I like the 303, but so many people used it in the acid house days. When I use it, I really overload the mixer so I get a distorted bass line instead. That someone was Liam. You've been listening to a few snippets from my new show, The History of Electronic Music, from bone flute to drum loop. Me talking about the history of electronic music in some depth, having a bit of a laugh with a sampler, firing audio nostalgia and making everyone prepped for a good dance afterwards. If you would like to come to the next one, all you need to do is go to historyofelectronic.com. There'll be plenty of tour dates in 2020, including the Brighton Festival in Southern England. I was going to do a festival in Toronto, but I've just realised it's too bloody expensive to enter the thing. So I'm, I'll do some Canada dates as well, because I've obviously spent quite a lot of time in Canada still. And uh, what with the calendar few dates and some England dates and uh, I'll do another Dublin date, uh, really just bolt a couple extra ones on and we can call that a world tour, can't we? Can't I just do that? Can't I just say I'm on a world tour? Yeah, fuck it. All right, uh, enjoy yourself. Big love to you all. Do drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. Tell me how you're getting on and what's going on in your world. Ta-ta. Sponsorship business at the end. I've got sponsorship business at the end. This is the sponsorship bit. If you don't like being sold shit, then you shouldn't listen to the sponsorship bit. Sponsorship bit. Um, would you like a canvas print of your photo or someone else's? Then why not go to mrphotocanvas.co.uk if you're in London, mrphotocanvas.com if you're in Toronto, and chances are you're somewhere else. So. You might have to use a different company.
but you know, have a look at Mr. Photo Canvas, see what happens. Well, do you want a podcast? I make podcasts. You can, I, I can prove it. You're listening to one. Yes. Why would you need any more evidence? Well, you do. Okay, not a problem. I'll go to wemakepodcasts.uk. Wemakepodcasts.uk if you want your own podcast and I can help you make it. Uh, what else do I do? Oh, yeah. Uh, I teach Adobe software. I do a lot of things. I, t- I warned you about this. Uh, jack of all, master of all. If you want to learn Adobe software, uh, pretty much all of it, then you can go to adobe.london if you're in London and adobetrainingtoronto.com if you're in Toronto. Um, I think that's it. I'd probably do some other things. I mean, to be honest, I'll do anything for the money. Not that, you filthy... Good God.